David thought he saw clearly what the Lord's will was, so he got in a hurry to do it his way. There was nothing wrong with wanting to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. Nothing wrong at all. Nothing wrong with wanting God's glory. Nothing wrong with that. But when it became man's way to get it, oh, there's everything wrong with that. If there was that precept that was there. See, this is the key question for everyone in this church, everyone in every church, every parent. How's God's glory going to fill my house? That's the key question. never go wrong if we direct our lives by the commandments and principles taught to us in Scripture. After a misguided spiritual decision ended in tragedy, David struggled with the consequences of his ill-informed plans to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Finally, David gave voice to a question that should have been asked long before. How can I bring the Ark of the Lord to me? When was the last time you stopped to ask God how you should act? In today's message, Pastor Mark will encourage us to seek God and make sure we know God's heart before we act presumptuously on His behalf. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6 with today's edition of Come Alive. So transporting the ark on a cart was against God's specific command. There's a precept. God had given a precept back in Exodus 25 verse 12 through 15. He says, hey, here's how you do this. And again in Numbers 4.15. And it was only to be transported by the Levites. And, and from the Levites, a certain family in that Levites called Koath. And so only those people could lift and carry that cart. And so why did God command the ark to be carried? Uh, why not carry it on a cart? I mean, it would make more sense. You wouldn't wear out the people holding it and carrying it and everything that goes that way. But it was probably because there was to be nothing mechanical about the ark which represented his presence. And so the ark was nothing less than the burden of the Lord. And the burden of the Lord was to be carried on the hearts of the Levites uh, of this certain family. And so we can imagine what these men thought. Look, we have a brand new cart for the ark. And and God's going to be very pleased with our very fancy new cart. He's going to be so stoked. I mean, he's going to love it. We've even put some padding down so it's a smooth ride for God. And and, as they put that little piece of furniture on that cart and they start to haul it away, they thought, man, this new technology or this luxury, man, it can do a lot. But what it couldn't do is cover over their ignorant disobedience. So look at verse 4 with me. It says, And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord, on all kinds of instruments, of fir wood, on harps, stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. And then, when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. Stop right there. So, you know, here's a situation. 
Uh, they're hauling it, and they hit a big bump. Probably, maybe, I don't know, going uphill. And the Ark of the Covenant starts to slide out. And you're the guy in the back. I mean, who wouldn't try to stop something from falling out? Especially God, God's seat, the place where God rests. I mean, whoa, we got to stop it. And so he puts out his hand. Look at what verse 7 says. It says, Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. Now, some of you might be going, Oh, dude, that's not fair. Very uncool. Uh, that, how, how can this happen? I mean, he was just trying to help God out. You've got to think about what was just said. He was just trying to help God out. Does he need our help? I mean, when you start thinking that way, that God needs your help, then he's a very small God. Uh, because, I mean, take a look at your own life. And I look at my own life, and I'm like, man, I've, I, I can mess up some stuff. I, I can really make a mess out of things. And so God needs the help from a guy who can really mess things up seriously? Uh, I don't think so. So here, Uzzah, this guy, just trying to do the, the best that he knew how to do, keep the ark from falling out. It'd be horrible if it broke. And so the people are in full celebration. They get to a place called Nacon's threshing floor, and they hit a bump. And Uzzah probably thinks, hey, man, I got it. No worries. I'll push it or stabilize it, and we'll get this thing through. And bam, God microwaves him. He fries him. You're toast, Uzzah. And he's dead. You ever been there? That place where you have these big plans, these big parades, this big celebration going on, these big ideas, and even if we hit a bump, you know what? I got it. I'm going to stabilize it. I'm going to do something. I can solve this problem on my own efforts. See, I think where this took place is a perfect place for this to happen. It it speaks volumes. A threshing floor, when you think about it. A threshing floor was a place where a farmer would take his wheat, and they would take the wheat, And they would throw it up in the air, and as the wind kind of blew, it would separate the chaff from the wheat. And the wheat, the thing that you were separating, would fall to the ground, and the useless stuff would blow away. And so this happens here. The chaff would go, leaving the grain itself to fall to the ground. It was a separation process, a separation process. And the substantial was separated from, well, the trivial. You might, as a lot of people think, Well, this is horrible. Once again, Mark, why would God allow this to happen to to poor Uzzah? Well, he was a good Jewish boy. He he would have been raised in the Jewish tradition of somebody telling him the scriptures. And again, it's not like they didn't know. And so it wouldn't have happened if the people, well, if David had just obeyed. If David would have just obeyed, if the king would have just stopped for a moment before he thought, hey, this is going to be a good idea. See, so often we're, we're quick to see the horrible. We're, we're fast to see that, man, this is a bad thing. And then ask, God, why would you allow this to happen? And when in reality, we should have asked God how before we ever took a step, before we ever started to move forward in the process. God, how do you want me to do this? Think about it. If David would have just asked that one simple question, If he'd have just said, hey, you know, okay, back in verse 1, or maybe even prior to verse 1, Lord, here we are, we're at like between verses, between 1 and the last one of the last chapter, and I'm really wanting to do this thing for you, and I want to know how I'm supposed to do this. And God could have said, hey, Dave, uh, go, go get a scroll, 
you'll pull out that scroll from Exodus and check out chapter 12 and, and look at it. Or I'm sorry, chapter 25 and look at verse 12 and start there. And we as Christians often do that. We, we jump ahead and then all of a sudden God says, no, I'm not going to let you do that. We get burned somehow. We, we get turned to toast. And then we're like, why, God? Why, why would you allow that to happen? See, a, a Christian's proper response should be, now what? Not why. Our first response should be how. And if we blow it and we didn't ask first and foremost, it should be now what? But not why, because the why is a very simple answer. Or we didn't do it his way. See, these guys, David did things based on convenience. How often do we as Christians do things based off of convenience or efficiency rather than what God would have wanted? We want God's presence very much, don't we? Uh, But we like to hitch his presence to some kind of new cart. And so we like to add him to our list of organizations. We like to load him on top of the mechanics of a busy life. And then we want to drive and say, come on, God, come with me. Join in with me. And it's not how it needs to be. Alan Redpath says, how much of our service is really in the energy of the flesh? I wonder. So often we put forth our hands, but not our hearts. Oh, We put our hands out and start working before we ever consider our hearts. Look at verse 8. It says, And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And so here, David is standing alongside a corpse. He's standing alongside this dead guy, and he gets mad. He thought he was doing something for the Lord. How can this happen? I've done all this stuff for the Lord, and this horrible thing happens. And so he realizes now after the fact, that it wasn't acceptable to God. So David could have said, how was I supposed to know? How was I supposed to know, Lord? And the Lord would have responded, well, Dave, bro, I did write it down. I did give the message. If you would have inquired of me and my word, you would have seen that I have a specific way of transporting my ark. And oftentimes this still happens today. Sometimes in business ventures, people rush in because eh, there's money, money to be made, money, 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 and we need it. We need money. So, I mean, how, how can it be wrong? I, I prayed, and I feel like the Lord has given me this, and, well, okay. Did you check out a verse in the Bible? Did you, do you have something to base it on? Are you standing on something or just money, uh, that it feels right, that it seems right? Or maybe a marriage. Maybe a marriage. I've seen this happen. Christians chase after an unbeliever or a believer that's very new to the faith because, well, man, that person's good looking. They dress nice. They got a cool car. It seems they got a lot of things going for them. And they say they're a Christian. And a few years later, what are these problems? Uh, I can't get the dude to get up to go to church or my wife won't crawl out of bed to even read a Bible and I can't figure out what's going wrong in my marriage and it's just falling apart. They hurry things along. When they should have waited for that young believer to grow in their maturity. When they should have waited just to grow in maturity. There's nothing wrong with time. Time is awesome. Sometimes 
on the other hand, we spend so much time, we lose opportunity. God's like, go, and you're like, no, Lord, not yet. No, go, no, Lord, not yet. I'm going to get hurt. No, I'm telling you to go. You won't. I'm telling you to wait. And it's like, there's this balance we need to have. Or maybe sometimes they rush into a ministry position, and they realize they didn't counsel with God, and then they wonder why there's this wake of frustration and this lameness that's constantly there. Whatever the reason, it's because, well, they didn't check out God's word. They didn't really seek God wholeheartedly. And if God was saying wait, then they didn't wait. And if God was saying go, they probably waited too long. So there's a a number of things that can happen. Look at verse 9. And so David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? See, this is the question that should have been asked again before verse 1 or in verse 1 or sometime around verse 1. David should have been able to go back, oh, here's verse 1. Yeah, no, I didn't ask that. That would be a good one. Now that I know, I'm going to ask it. Well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? David thought he saw clearly what the Lord's will was, so he got in a hurry to do it his way. There was nothing wrong with wanting to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. Nothing wrong at all. Nothing wrong with wanting God's glory. Nothing wrong with that. But when it became man's way to get it, oh, there's everything wrong with that. If there was that precept that was there. See, this is the key question for everyone in this church, everyone in every church, every parent. How's God's glory going to fill my house? That's the key question. And so it starts with the leader. God says, if you're going to have a heart for me, if you want my glory, then you're going to check my word. I have an app for that. He has an app for that. I mean, how how am I going to do this? There's this hard thing I got to do. Well, I got an app for that. Lord, well, what about this girl, this beautiful woman? I'm really attracted. I got an app for that. And if you just check out my word and you take a look at it and you do as it says, I'll keep you safe. And a lot of times, sometimes these beautiful people that disappear from your life, you think, man, Lord, they're going to disappear. They're They're leaving. There's no way that there's somebody better for me than this person. But there is. Or there's no way that there's a better job. There is. But but the better job would pay more money. No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. See, if we would just check his word, if we would just find either a precept or a principle, and you go according to that, well, you're pretty much going to be safe. When we do that, he says, I'll give you joy. I will give you joy, not happiness, but joy. If you don't, you may wind up miserable. And in this case, he even took some lives, took a life. Again, Ananias and Sapphira, New Testament, same principle here. Much of the same thing. They presumed and they didn't take the Lord seriously. And that was not, you know, it was one of those things that they they should have, hey, Lord, the Lord's a serious God. He, He doesn't joke around with do this and do that. Oh, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It's all right. Just joking with you. No, he was very serious. And and that wasn't, the Ark of the Covenant was not to be touched, especially by a non-Levite. And so some people might have said, well, who cares about poles and little ringlets? Who cares about carrying this thing? Well, God did. And that's the point. When we begin to care about those things that God cares about, You'll see some amazing things happen. We'll become people after his own heart. And then and only then, you know, do you begin to have real freedom and real happiness. 
Those little things. A pole and a ringlet? Seriously? Serious. He was for real about it. Look at verse 10. So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. So here David is so afraid, and you better believe that he is, that the last time he tried to move this thing, he lost a guy. And so David decides, I'm going to leave it. And for three months, the ark was kept in the house of Obed-Edom. Now this guy, if I was him, I'd be a little freaked out. Here's this ark sitting in your living room, and you walk over one day, and you're kind of hanging out, and you're watching your chickens because they didn't have TV or whatever your entertainment was, and you're drinking your iced tea, and you're just like, whoa, I almost put my tea on the Ark of the Covenant. Last guy touched it. Oh, yeah, that would be bad. Or wake up in the middle of the night because you don't have a bathroom in your house, and you got to walk out the front door, and you hope and you pray, dear God, please let me not stumble and fall on your ark. Because that would be a horrible thing to be fried that late or early in the morning. And so here's this thing. But here's what happens. It's, it's not bad. And so for three months, the ark was kept in the house of Obed-Edom. No ark in Jerusalem. And probably with sleepless nights, David was wondering, what's happening? He's probably thinking, I really want that ark here because here's why. Look at verse 11. It says, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. This guy was blessed. Now, it doesn't tell us what kind of blessings he had. Maybe his crops grew like crazy. Maybe he had ears of corn as tall as a man. Maybe his, his farm animals were giving birth left and right, some of them to more than one animal. Chickens laying eggs like crazy, one chicken a dozen a day, I don't know. But there's a blessing there. And David's like, hold up. If Obed-Edom's being blessed, then I want to be blessed. I want my country and my people and my nation to be blessed. And so he wants the ark there in Jerusalem. And you might think, wait a minute, Uh, I thought he wasn't going to touch it. I thought he wasn't going to have this thing. Look at verse 12. It says, Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and he brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. Hmm. I thought he wasn't going to touch it. Yet he touches it. Well, if you'll turn with me to First Chronicles 15, we'll see what goes on and what happens. And we're going to look at verse 1. We're going to skip over some words, but David basically prepares a place for the ark of God, pitched a tent for it. Verse 2, it says, And David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, for the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to them him forever. Verse 3, And David assembled all Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. And David gathered together the sons of Aaron and the Levites, of the sons of Kohath, Uriel the chief, with 120 of his brothers, skip down to verse 12, and said to them, You are the heads of the fathers, the houses of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, that the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it. Because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us, because we did not seek him according to the rule. Now, Go back to 2 Samuel. Somebody could have said, hey, Dave, check this out, bro. I found these scrolls, and here's the deal. 
Or it could have been God saying, hey, Dave, you know, now that I got you alone and, and you're having some quiet time with me, I want you to hear something very clear. I want you and your people, my people, my children, to have my presence, my glory. But you've got to do it the right way. You've got to do it the way I tell you to do it. And so according to Exodus 25, 12, and 15, and Numbers 4, 15, this is what has to happen. David probably looked it up and was like, wow, amazing. There it is. So David is like, really, that's how it's to be done. Oh, man. Just imagine if I'd have had that a, a, a few months ago. Poor Uzzah. I wouldn't have had to go and tell his family that he got zapped. Oh, man. What a bonehead thing I've done. Okay, Lord, we'll do it that way. And because they didn't seek God the first time, they got burned. But the message here is, for you and I, it's our life, basically. The details. The pole, the ringlets. The little things might drive us crazy. You might think, wow, well, do I really have to pray with my family? Do I really have to read my Bible? Do I really have to go to church? Do I really have? God says, yeah, these are important things. Do I really have to go, therefore, and make disciples? Sure, those are important things. Do I really have to serve? Yeah, that's an important thing. Those are important things. Uh, Those are the great things we get to do. And when you do those things, you will find freedom. But when you don't do them and you try to do things your own way and you try to combine them with God's things, then you find frustration and lameness and it's no fun. And see, maybe you just don't want to take time to deal with those little things that seem so insignificant that we decide we won't go through the trouble of putting the poles through the ringlets. You know I mean? Like we're going to do it. We'll go ahead and we'll get the Levites. We'll get the that right family, Kohath and but we're not going to put the poles through the ringlets. We'll just grab the ringlets and we'll carry it. And you know what would happen would be, well, the same thing. And, and the poles had to sit on the shoulders. Very specific details. After all, it's, it's easier and faster to use a cart. Truly, it is. It's more efficient. But you might think that God's not really that concerned about details, but he is. And so if he cared enough to write it, he cared enough to preserve it, then he cares enough to have you and me pull it off precisely his way. Not our way, but his way. And so that's what David did. Look at verse 13. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he had sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. So they take six steps and they sacrifice an animal, a couple animals. This is a long process. We're so glad you joined us today for Pastor Mark's teaching in the book of 2 Samuel. We wish we had more time to spend with you, but sadly, we need to wrap up our broadcast today. Right now, though, you can hear more from Come Alive by visiting our website. At Come Alive Radio, you'll be able to listen to past teachings, connect with us on Instagram, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd love to meet you, too. So consider yourself invited to our Sunday services at Calvary Chapel Katy. You can find out more at comealiveradio.com or give us a call at 281-391-5503. Be sure to let us know how we can be lifting you up in prayer. Before we end our time with you, Tracy has a request to share. Here at Come Alive, we want to make sure we're following God, not what other people around us are saying. With everything we do, we want to honor our Creator and point people to salvation. 
That's where you come in. We'd appreciate your prayers for Pastor Mark and all of us here at Come Alive. Would you lift us up to the Lord each time you listen to our program? Thank you for interceding on our behalf. Would you consider donating to Come Alive too? Any amount is helpful, and you can easily donate by texting 77977. That's 77977. Thank you so much for prayerfully considering this, and thanks for tuning in to Come Alive.